one of the goals of a relatively early stage company is to establish some sales and marketing traction. This is often called a repeatable sales model, which means that a trained salesperson trained on how to market and sell your product can successfully sell the product to qualified prospects. It sounds simple, but lots of companies struggle. Why? Well, in my experience, there are five main reasons. My experience is mostly from enterprise software, so there may be additional reasons in your company. There may be additional challenges with repeatable sales models, and they might be different. But in my experience, these are the five main reasons. Marketing doesn't select for the ideal customer and reject the non-ideal customers in their marketing and marketing funnels. In other words, you may be bringing in prospects that, or leads that are not qualified, that don't need your solution. And you may not be getting all the leads in who need your solution because the marketing funnel's not set up right. Then, once the leads come in, there's bad discovery and qualification. There's not a good process for qualifying the leads, and so too many unqualified people are tried, are pushed through the funnel when they really shouldn't go. And sales also doesn't do a good job of discovering if they are qualified and if they are qualified, how to best present the product to them. Sales often doesn't have the best tools for handling objections, particularly about the product. So bad objection handling. I've seen many cases where the demo is really based on features and functions as opposed to focusing on the prospect's problems and how we solve them. And there's overall a poor use of customer stories. So those are the five things that I often see. Hi, this is Nels Davis, and you're listening to episode 127 of the Secrets of Product Management podcast. In this episode, the minimum viable product knowledge concept to address what I call the repeatable sales process and why you don't have one. So now I'm going to help you get out of the situation of no repeatable sales process. And well, that's going to be the topic of the show today. I did want to give you a quick note before we get into that about a new thing that I'm starting. I want to tell you about the new community that I'm building for the podcast. I've started up a new community. It's based on Clever.fm, which is run by product managers. So they reached out to me, and it should be a good, a good relationship. So we can come together and talk more about all things product. There's a lot of different kinds of things that are going to be up on the community. You can go to secretsofpm.com community or follow the link in the show notes to that same link to check it out. There's not much up there right now, but there are a few things like there's an icebreaker question. You can hear my answer to it, and you can provide your answer. And there's a few other little places that will be there. There's going to be forums and files and discussions and all kinds of awesome things. Okay, so that's the community. Please go and join secretsofpm.com slash community. Let's get on with the show. So you have the situation, no repeatable sales model. So what can you do about it? Well, what you really are, want to do, the ideal thing would be to do a sales and marketing audit. That's a great thing to do. But typically, sales and marketing aren't interested in you doing that. But they may, might be very interested in having you sit in on a few sales calls and some demos. So in my experience, in most companies, sales is often happy to have product management sit in on these. Now, there are exceptions to that. But in a lot of companies, particularly smaller companies, I think generally the sales team is interested in having product management observe, sit in, maybe even provide answers to questions because typically 
we product managers know a lot more about the product per se. So what are we going to look out for when we're in these situations? What are we going to learn? Well, you're likely to see the things that I mentioned when I opened. The under unqualified prospects coming into the sales funnel, poor qualification and discovery during the sales calls, weak objection handling, and a demo that's all about features and functions. Let me show you how we do X, right? Instead of saying, you mentioned that you had this problem Y, let me show you how we solve that problem, which would be more about the prospect's actual problems. So you're likely to see those things. So notice I'm not talking about when you have not yet got product market fit. I'm really talking about what's happen what happens after that. You, so you've, you've already found and validated a market problem. You've built a good solution to that problem. You have the product, and you're trying to get the repeatable sales model. The most important part of this pattern is you have some successful customers using the product as it's intended, i.e., they're validating that there actually is a problem and that the product works to address this problem. And they're not just early adopters who kind of buy everything and throw it against the wall to see if it sticks. They, they have to be using it and getting transformational results. That's what you're – that's the – the criteria for being in the state where you can start to get a repeatable sales model. And the other criteria, of course, is that you don't yet have a repeatable sales model, and that can be caused by a lot of different things, as I've talked about. So the exercise is to figure out why we can't get sales, what things are causing that problem, and then address them. And again, the most common things are that we're not articulating the right problem. And often this is you or your company or your marketing stating the problem in your words rather than the customer's words or the ideal prospect's words. Sometimes it's you stating a problem, but that's not the problem that customers are actually solving with your product. That can happen as well. Uh, you might not be face focusing the marketing on the right segment. The segment may not know that they have a problem and that there's a solution, so there may be a problem with how marketing is raising the awareness of the, of the solution. There is likely to be a poor use of customer success stories. You're probably not going to have too many, but you need to make use of the ones you have. The demo is, again, feature and function instead of problem-focused, and the objection handling is not complete. So note that none of these are product issues. There are also potentially product issues, of course. I'm not; Those are not the key point of this particular episode, but they could be issues like a competitive gap that's not possible to overcome with objection handling, right? Objections are often around competition, and often you can answer those objections effectively if you know the right answers. The salespeople can answer those, but typically they need to get those answers from product management. But sometimes there's a competitive gap that can't be addressed via objection handling, and that is a product gap, and that may mean that you're not actually ready for a repeatable sales model. And again, there are not, there's potentially another problem. Maybe the segment for whom your product solves a problem is not big enough, and it's already saturated with solutions. You know, this doesn't sound like a, a product problem, but it is actually, because you shouldn't have built that product because there was a good solutions for that problem already. So I'm not going to talk about those things in any more detail. The thing that's interesting about the list of potential problems, though, that I listed is that they're somewhat obvious, but it's hard to see them when you're in the middle of it for whatever reason. In other words, an outsider looking at the situation can easily see these problems, but if you're in the situation, it can be hard to detect them. You know, 
there are also some specific blind spots that are sort of related to cognitive biases. And these, this is especially true around the stories and the desire of a lot of us technological people to minimize conflict. So stories like, I've been facing this problem for a long time and I tried many solutions to no avail. People don't like to do marketing with these stories for some reason, but they're probably, all things being equal, the most powerful marketing stories of all. You, you have somebody saying, I had this problem, it was really bad, it was causing me all this kind of pain, and then I found your solution and my problem went away and I got a raise and I got a bonus and my kids love me again. So what is the solution to all this? Well, I have this thing that I call the minimum viable product knowledge. So the thing about the minimum viable product knowledge is that unlike the minimum viable product, there's really no guesswork involved, right? An MVP, a minimum viable product, is all about trying to figure out what your customers might like or how you might be able to deliver it or if the thing you're thinking about building is even worth building. That's the MVP. Those are all big, open, unknown questions that you answer with your MVPs. That is, there's lots of tests and experiments. But the minimum viable product knowledge comes well after that part of the process. At the point you're doing the MVPK, you have a product, you have validated that it solves a real problem for real people who need the solution and are willing to pay for it, and now you need to sell it, and you need to come up with ways to sell that product, and that's what the minimum viable product knowledge is all about. It's the information that sales and marketing needs at minimum to successfully market and sell your product, and it's essentially a fixed set of things. Now, as a product manager, you're not necessarily doing the marketing and selling but you have the knowledge that goes into the minimum viable product knowledge that the marketing and sales team then need to make to do their jobs effectively. So the MVPK, it's kind of exact, but it's not fixed totally. So the way that I talk about the minimum viable product knowledge is that it's got around five or six specific things. My list get, keeps getting longer, but it's around five or six. So what it, what it is, it's the value proposition that's number one. Number two, the targeted segment, the, really the segment of the people who have the problem that you solve with your product. And that's not just a demographic. That's, that's really that segment is about people with the problem that you solve. And that's, that's what defines the segment. And probably people that have the problem you solve that are in a position to pay money to solve it. The third piece of the MVPK is some things like discovery questions and qualifying questions. So what are the sales team trying to learn when they're doing discovery? What are the types of problems they should be looking for that the prospect has or the lead has? What are the things that qualify a lead to be a good prospect? What are the characteristics of how they experience the problem, what they've tried to do to solve the problem before, things like that? Number four is objection handling information. And these are typically product-related objections. Oh, your product doesn't have feature X and your competitor has feature X and I really want feature X. Well, how should the salesperson respond to that objection? Well, product management often knows what the right answer to that is. And we either know that because of something, a decision that we made within the product, or we may know it because of the fact that we have successful customers who are successful despite not having feature X. And in fact, oftentimes maybe they wanted feature X, they went with us in without getting feature X, and they're happy despite the fact that feature X isn't there, and they even like our feature 
why better. So that's the type of thing that you want to gather for objection handling. You want customer success stories to support all of these items. That's number five. And uh, I often talk about the bonus item, which is the demo, which I'll give a little bit more about in, the, in a few minutes. So this is not really an exhaustive list of everything that's needed to sell your product. For example, I don't include pricing in the minimum viable product knowledge, although the sales team, of course, does need to know the pricing. It's might be important for some particular product offerings to have a lot of details about pricing, but for a lot of products, they have a price, and that's what you sell it, sell it at. So in my experience, it's not one of the things that's often missing, and, the, and sales is usually pretty good at figuring out stuff about pricing as well. So they don't need it as much, and also product management doesn't always have a lot of responsibility around pricing. In some companies, they do. So there might be some other info that product is not the most knowledgeable about that might also be really valuable for the sales and marketing teams to have. But I think the things that I shared are really the minimum at any rate. Now, sometimes I don't include customer success stories explicitly in the MVPK, but they're definitely implicitly part of it because they're behind the qualifying questions, they're behind the discovery questions, they're behind the objection handling. They're really behind the segment, right? Because the segment is all about the people that have the problem and your customer success stories are about how your customers overcame that problem. You know, and the, the stories are even fundamental to a great demo. You know, the best way to get a customer to agree to a demo is to say, oh, you mentioned you have this problem. I'd love to show you how this really successful customer solved that problem with our solution. So I don't think you can go smaller than this list of six things. Now, if you don't have them, marketing is going to have a really hard time getting qualified leads into your sales funnel because they're going to be guessing at what makes a lead qualified, and they might guess wrong. And sales is going to have a really hard time moving those leads through the sales funnel to the point where they become customers because they won't necessarily know how to handle objections. They won't know if this particular lead is actually as well qualified as it, they need to be in order to get to close and so on and so forth. So I mentioned the demo, the product demo is a component of the MVPK, but it needs to be a demo that's focused on the prospect and his or her problems and not on the product and its features. And it's still surprising to me how many product demos, this is 2022, almost 2023, how many product demos are still features and functions and don't even mention anything about a prospect's problems. You know, even if you're demoing to anonymous interested people and, you know, somehow some companies have this, you know, a scheduled demo. Every Wednesday there's a demo. You can just go to their website on Wednesday and you can sit in on a demo, you know, Wednesday at 1 p.m., whatever it might be. It doesn't have to be Wednesday, obviously. Um, but I've been to so many of those demos at Wednesday at 1 p.m. or whatever time it is where it's really all features and nothing about the problems that those features address. So even though you don't actually know anything about the prospect or the person watching the demo at Wednesday at 1 p.m., you haven't done any discovery with that individual person, so you don't know their specific problems, but you still know about the class of problems that they might have if they're going to be a good customer and if they're interested in what you have in your solution. You know about the types of solutions they've tried in the past, most likely. You know something about their universe of expectations. You know where they've been disappointed with about other solutions, most likely. And yet, even though you know all that stuff about this anonymous prospect, the demos often don't make any use of that and just show features and functions. It's astounding to me. Anyway, little rant about demos. Sorry about that. So why is this important? Well, why does having the MVP key, 
MVPK mean that sales and marketing can start succeeding and getting to that repeatable sales model. Well, marketing's main job is to get qualified leads into your sales funnel. If they don't know precisely who to target, which is information that you're providing in the MVPK, they're likely to target the wrong people. This means that the leads they do get are unqualified. And of course, you want to minimize the number of unqualified leads in your funnel because they're just a waste. It may also mean that you are, get fewer qualified leads in your funnel than you would with more targeted marketing programs. So both of these things are bad. So that's one thing you get from the MVPK is marketing has a better sense of who it needs to be targeting and who it needs to be rejecting in its marketing. Now sales, once they get a qualified lead, needs to further qualify them and then they need to figure out how best to pitch the product to the prospect. This might be which customer stories do I depend on depending on what I learned about the, the prospect's actual problems and their experience of their problems. So that comes down to to having good qualification and discovery questions. Now, the goal of this process, by the way, is not about sales per se. It's about making the prospect feel that we are a company that actually understands their problem because we ask the right questions and we use appropriate customer success stories to show the prospect that we actually will solve their problem. They're not going to believe us if we just say we solve the problem. But if we can talk about the details of a customer who had the same problem and had excellent success with our solution, they are much more likely to believe us. Now, obviously, a demo that shows the prospect how we solve their problem is far more persuasive than a demo that just goes through all the features we offer. And you can see that the customer success stories underlie a lot of the persuasiveness of this whole product process. If you don't have customer success stories that focus on the problems and the pain they had, and then the relief of those problems and pain, you have a major handicap. So how can you take action on all this information? Well, I am working on a template for the minimum viable product knowledge, but it's not actually ready yet. You can go to secretsofpm.com slash MVPK to get on the mailing list for the template, which I will email you a copy of when it is ready. That's probably going to be in early 2023. But in the meantime, I recommend you start to pull together the MVPK for your product based on what I just listed off or what I'm about to list, the value proposition, the market segment and the problem they're suffering from, if they are your ideal customer, some good qualification and discovery questions that sales should be asking, some objection handling about the product, things like, well, if competitor, if a competitor has feature X and we don't have it, what should, and the prospect asks about that, what should the salesperson say? I think products should also work on the basics of the demo script that focuses on the prospect's problems not on the product's features, and of course, customer success stories. If you recall from the dozens of episodes where I've talked about customer success stories, the important part of the story is not the customer's success, actually. It's all the pain and difficulties they experienced before they got our product, because that's where your prospects are, and being able to say our customers were where you are now, and now they're the happiest little lambs on the planet because of our product, that's what you're aiming for. So you have to make sure to get all the bad stuff the, that preceded our product into those customer success stories. Now, putting together the MVPK with or without a template is a great test of your own knowledge of the product. For example, if you can't articulate a compelling value proposition for your product, then how can you expect sales and marketing to be able to sell it? You know, a good value proposition contains all the key reasons why someone would buy your product. And who should know that list of reasons? Well, you should, the product manager. 
You know, I have another great podcast episode I recommend listening to called the Product Management Product Marketing Interface. I'll put a link to that episode in the notes for this episode. And you can find the notes for this episode at secretsofpm.com slash 127. And in the product management, product marketing interface episode, I talk a lot about these kinds of things. I go a lot more into stories. So this has been episode 127 of the Secrets of Product Management podcast. I hope the information about the MVPK will help you and your colleagues achieve the magic goal of a repeatable sales process. If you have any questions or comments about the MVPK, feel free to reach out. I'm Nils Davis on all the socials, and you can leave a comment on the show page for this episode at secretsofpm slash 125, sorry, secretsofpm slash 127. And as a reminder, head over to secretsofpm.com slash community to ask me a question, to talk to other product folks, and to check out the community we're building. I'd love to have you there. Thanks for listening. This has been Nels Davis, and until next time, bye-bye.